2016. Who would have thought it? Uh, wow. Uh, it comes fast, doesn't it? This is going to be a good year in Jesus' name. And we're starting it off right. Uh, Pastor Reagan mentioned a while ago about the, this 21 days. Um, I like to refer to it as 21 days of consecration to the Lord. Uh, and we do that through fasting and prayer, uh, a way to do it. In fact, the title of my message this morning is Fasting, an Important Step in Consecration. Consecration and sanctification are two words in your Bible that in many places are interchangeable. In other words, they literally mean exactly the same thing. And, and what they mean is this. Consecration is literally a setting apart for holy purposes. A setting apart for holy purposes. There are many examples of that in, in the Bible. Uh, the firstborn was dedicated to the Lord in families in the Old Testament as set apart and consecrated to start the family line into the next generation. Um, the first fruits of everybody's income, in other words, the tithe, was consecrated, set apart, sanctified to the Lord. They set apart the priest and sanctified them. They even sanctified the garments that the priest wore. Holy days were, sac uh, were consecrated to the Lord. Holy festivals and Sabbaths and on and on and on we could go in the Scripture. They were set apart. They were consecrated. They were dedicated to the Lord. And so today we're going to talk about that very important part of consecration, and that is fasting. And I know you don't hear a lot about that today, but uh, let me encourage you to read the Sermon on the Mount um, sometime during this, uh, during this 21 days of fasting and prayer. It's the longest recorded message of Jesus in the Bible. It starts in Matthew 5, goes all the way through Matthew 7. But in that, prayer, in that uh, Sermon on the Mount was a teaching from the Lord Jesus on how to pray. And we refer to it as the Lord's Prayer. And if I ask you to repeat with me the Lord's Prayer this morning, most of you would just fall right in immediately and start saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we just go all the way through the Lord's Prayer. But I want you to notice this about the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, When you pray, say. And then he gave us, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, in that same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus also said, When you fast. Just like he said, when you pray. In other words, what he's saying, he's not saying, if you pray, say. He said, when you pray. He's just assuming that his followers would pray. Well, the same thing is said about fasting. He didn't say, if you fast. He said, when you fast. In other words, the, our Lord Jesus just assumed that, that fasting would be a part of of our spiritual discipline as we follow him. And so we're going to look at that today. And I'm, I'm going to deal with three uh, things about fasting. There are many others. It's not an exhaustive study. But I, I'm going to talk about why we should fast, uh, how we should fast, and when we should fast. My text today is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. And you'll see this thing of consecration in this verse. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify, that's the word, you could say consecrate you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body 
be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you see what Paul's saying here in, in this benediction that he's giving to the church at Thessalonica in his first letter? He's saying, I, I want the Lord to sanctify you. The old King James says holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. I like the new King James better because it's, it defines it completely. And how is he going to sanctify, set you apart, consecrate you completely, spirit, soul, and body? In other words, you have to have all three to be completely set apart and sanctified to the Lord. So I'm going to deal with those in this message this morning. I'm going to look first, at, first of all at why we should fast, why we should fast. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a simple answer. There are many others, but here's one reason, and I think a major reason why you should fast, and that's alignment, alignment. We are a spirit. You've heard me say this many, many times. We are a spirit. We have a soul and we live in a body. Now I want to make sure that you get that. In fact, make sure your neighbor gets it. Okay. How, punch your neighbor and, and say to your neighbor, we are a spirit. We have a soul. And we live in a body. Let's, let's do that together. We are a spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body. Would you do that one more time with me? We are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. Now, I want to look at these. First of all, I want to define them. The spirit. What, what, is, what do you mean, preacher? What are you talking about? We are a spirit. Well, the, the Greek New Testament word that we get that from is the word pneuma. And in the English, it literally means wind or breath. In other words, the life that you breathe, the, you, the, what makes you a living being is your spirit. Your spirit is literally you. If you don't believe me, stop by a funeral home on your way home this morning and you can see bodies, but they're not breathing. You know why? The spirit man has left. And when your spirit man's gone, the body's laying there. Looks just like it always does. I don't want to be morbid here, but I used to work at a funeral home many years ago when I was a young guy. And I've pried the eyelids open to see there's eyes in there. And you can check there, there's ears in there. There's still eardrums. I've opened their mouth. There's still a tongue in there, but they can't see, hear, or talk. You know why? Because the spirit, that's you. You are a spirit. In fact, look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Man was not, he had, God had already formed Adam's body, but Adam wasn't alive until the breath of God, God breathed into him. Pneuma, breath life that's the life and that's the essence of who you are and that spirit man is eternal it will never die never die now let's look at the soul the greek word for soul is suke we get words like psychology from that because we're dealing with the mind or the thinking and the emotions and all of that's wrapped up in that by the way let me back up before i i, I overlook this point the it, the, the, the spirit man is where we get our God consciousness. 
our God consciousness. I wonder if I could get you to back that up to spirit. I want you to see that on the screen. There it is. This is where we get our God consciousness. Our spirit is what communes with God. That's why prayer is so important. In prayer, our spirit man is able to commune with God. And if you'll commune with God, guess what? He'll commune with you. He'll commune with you. It's in that spirit. That's where we get our conviction. That's where the Holy Spirit directs our lives and and tells us you shouldn't go there. Or if you'll go this way, you'll find God's will. I can bless you here. That's the spirit man. Now back to the soul. If you put that up there, this is where we get our self-consciousness. It's that immaterial, invisible part of man by which we are self-conscious. Herein dwells our mind, will, and emotions. We're self-conscious. Now, now when, when I talk about the spirit man, it, you, you may have a hard time. You may be scratching your head and saying, what are you talking about, preacher? Something invisible, we can't see it. What, what is it all about? But when I talk about the soulish man, you can't see your soul either. You can't see emotions. But how many of you married men can tell me this morning that you know good and well your wife's got a soul? Because <laughs> she can get emotional. Amen. Some of you guys can too. In fact, all of us can because we, you can't see that with your naked eye. You can't see that mechanism, but that's your soul. It's inside of you. Inside of you is a soul. By the way, the soul is also eternal. When your spirit man leaves, your soul's going with it. That's why they tell us that people who are unconscious, in an unconscious state, sometimes the body may be shutting down but if they have not yet died, many times they can still hear and understand what we're saying. Um, I'll give you a little illustration. And, and several years ago, maybe, maybe I told this recently, if I have, forgive me, but, but we, we had somebody that came in very distraught one morning because their uncle uh, had, had gone into unconsciousness and they thought he was dying. And uh, this particular individual said, my uncle's not saved. What am I going to do? And I said, well, you go up there to the hospital and you get with your uncle and, uh, and you talk to him just like he was alive. Talk, talk to him just like he was conscious. And you give him the plan of salvation. And you pray with him to accept Jesus. And he did. He came back and said, I did exactly what you told me. Well, a miracle of miracles, when it, this guy did not die. He regained consciousness And he remembered everything this brother had said to him, and he opened his heart to the Lord in that unconscious state because his soul, man, is very much alive. Your soul is eternal. Amen? Praise the Lord. Yes. So, so your soul. And that's, that's where we get our, that's where we get our self-conscious, I mean, our, our, uh, yeah, our self-consciousness. That's, a, that's where we're aware. Our mind works. We have a will and we make those decisions. Now, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 8, verse, 20, uh, verse 10, chapter 10, verse 28. He said this, and do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's who you need to be a, have godly respect and fear for. Now, let's look at the body. The Greek word is soma. And the body, that, that's that material part. You can see that. You can look around and see all these bodies sitting here. We can, we can see the body. It is that material, physical part of man with which we get our environmental consciousness. Our environmental consciousness. 
That's how I know the world around me. That's how, that's how I can feel of this and know that this exists. This is something. I, I can hold on to this and know that this is solid. It's a, I can tell that by the sense in my body, the sense of touch. I have a sense of sight that I can see you with. I have a sense of hearing that I can hear you with. I, I have a sense of, of speaking. I can communicate with you and talk with you. I have a sense of smell. I can smell the aroma of fried bacon and, and, uh, and uh, uh, let, let me get back on my subject here. The, the body is how we reach out to the world around us and, and understand. It communicates with the world around us. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I want you to see something here. Paul said, I don't want you to conform to this world. In other words, I don't want you to, to, to go off and start acting like the world. We're supposed to, we're supposed to be living like Jesus. Amen. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to exemplify we're children of God. But for, for my body to be disciplined, he said, I want you to be renewed by the renewing. I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the soul has to work in that situation because we're a tripart being. You can't get in alignment without affecting all three. You can't just do one. And, and so we're going to look at that this morning. First of all, I want, to, I want you to look at improper alignment. Do you understand what I'm talking about when I say alignment? How many of you have had your car aligned at some time? Yeah, it, this, it happens with cars. You can have a brand new car, drive it right out of the showroom, put the first miles on it. But you keep driving it long enough and you hit enough potholes in the road and after a while your car will start doing strange things you'll be driving along and notice that it may be kind of pulling off to the right or it could be pulling off to the left or you may look at your tires and see that they're they're not wearing right maybe one side is wearing more than the other that's an indication that your car is out of line so you take it into the shop and you say i want you to align the front end of my car Get it, get it, and, and it's wonderful after you have your car, your, your front end of line, you, you get back in your car and you're driving down the road and you notice you could turn loose of the wheel and it doesn't pull off to the right, doesn't pull off to the left, just tracks right down the road, things, and, and it, you align it, and that's wonderful. But how many know that that's not going to last forever? If you keep driving enough miles, after a while, you're going to have to take it back in for a realignment. They're going to have to line it again and again. And so what, what I would like for us to do as a church this morning as we start this brand new year is to get aligned. And, and it's, for you, it may be the first time, or for some of you who've been aligned many times, let's, let's have a realignment. And I want to show you what that looks like. And I think for you to properly understand this, I have to explain to you what an improper alignment looks like so you'll understand the need to get aligned. First of all, looking at an improper alignment, it looks something like this. Look at the screen. Body, soul, and spirit. That is improper. 
Unfortunately, that's the culture that we live in. And that's the direction that this nation is moving off towards, and it's bad. It's really bad. This is modernism and liberalism at its peak. This road was paved in the educational system. It started many years ago when they started teaching situational ethics back in the late 60s and early 70s in our college campuses. And then they moved it on down to high school. And now it permeates the public education system all over our nation. And it's so sad because what this is telling us is that you don't need God consciousness. You, in fact, they're, they're telling us that there are really no absolutes. That's what situational ethics is all about. In other words, we used to have a standard of ethics. We used to have a standard of morality. We used to have a standard of behavior. When I was a child, we had devotions in public schools every morning. When I was a child in school, they taught us the Ten Commandments. They taught us the Golden Rule. We learned the Lord's Prayer. There was a standard across this nation, and we were taught those moral standards. Unsaved people knew that. It was a standard by which our society governed itself. And we knew when somebody was out of that, they were out of line. But situational ethics say the situation determines the morality. It may be wrong for Brother Roger, but it may be right for me. Listen, folks, if it's wrong here, it's wrong for Brother Roger and it's wrong for Brother Bowen. Amen? If it's right in here, it's right for Brother Roger and it's right for Brother Rich. Amen? Now, and, but but they, don't want you, they don't want you to see that. This is improper alignment. It puts the soul and the spirit completely underfoot of the body. They want to kill the spirit. Take God out of the school. Get rid of God consciousness. No more prayers allowed. Coaches that pray with the teams are trying to stop that. Numb the soul by getting rid of the, Bob, the Bible and ridicule and make fun of anything and everything that, that makes you feel guilty about anything. Crown the body as king. In other words, the, whatever feels good, do it. And, and, and out of this has become all of this political correctness stuff that has gone to the extreme until it's ridiculous. In fact, in Lincoln, Nebraska, teachers are no longer allowed to say boys and girls. They're no longer allowed to say ladies and gentlemen because that's politically incorrect. If a teacher must divide the class now, the teacher has to divide them up by those who prefer skateboards or those who prefer bicycles, or those who prefer milk, or those who prefer juice, <laughs> which you can't. Folks, carried to the extreme, this is ridiculous. And, but, but that's a cultural failure, and it's moving more and more and further in that direction to where it's okay to do anything. You know, there th the, the, I, I won't get into all these details. It, it, it'll take too long for the message today, but, but just sufficient to say, that is an improper alignment. Let me give you a second one. And that is where the soul is on top and then the body and then the spirit. 
Now, this is intellectualism that's gone to seed. This is where they say, you know, your mind, your will, and your emotions, that's more important than anything else, however you feel about things. The, the deception of the devil has even gone to the point that I, there are people that have Bible studies where they sit around and read the Scripture and they say, how does that feel to you? And if it feels one way to Brother Reagan and feels another way to Brother Steve, then they say, well, Brother Reagan, you can interpret the Bible your way. Brother Steve, you can interpret the Bible your way. And just whatever feels good to you, however you think. Listen, this Bible was spiritually given, and it must be spiritually discerned. And we don't need Reagan's mind or Steve's mind or Rich's mind. We need the mind of God. Amen? so that we can get aligned because God wants the best for us. And, and, but, but what happens with this, what happens with this, by denying God, then man must reason something else in its place. And so hence we have evolution and crash bang theories and survival of the fittest and all sorts of ideas about where we came from and how we got here. And, and, but it's all about man and the mind of man. Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, 22 to 25. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image of uh, made like man, a corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, this, out, of, out of this improper alignment, comes the extreme tree huggers and the extreme animal rights activists and 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 they they actually treat animals better than they treat children you know a lot of people go bananas if you if you um, if you in any way mistreat or don't treat well enough an animal but they don't care anything about aborting 50 million babies and sending them off to a grave um, Paul said they got to the point that they were worshiping the creature more than the creator who is God. Well, I could go on and on with this because there's several other. You, you can take these three and make all sorts, but I think you get the idea. So let me show you what proper alignment is. And this is what we should be striving for in these next 21 days. Here's what proper alignment looks like. Proper alignment looks like this. The spirit first because that's our God consciousness. Our spirit man communes with God, and God communes with us. And the Holy Spirit gives us convictions, and the Holy Spirit gives us direction, and the Holy Spirit woos us and directs us into the, into the likeness and the image of God and, and directs us according to God's will for our life. So the spirit is first. And secondly is the is the soul, the mind, will, and emotion. See, if, if your spirit and my spirit is communing with God and I have fellowship with God and I'm drawing close to God, what I'm getting in my spirit from God will affect the way I think and will give me direction for my will and will help me with my emotions. 
The Spirit of God can help me. That's why Christian people can go through things that lost people have difficulty with. In fact, sometimes break down and can't make it through. But with the power and the presence of God, God's Spirit can can help your emotions to go through things that you never thought possible. It can take you even through grieving process. I look around the congregation today, and I see some of you who've had tremendous losses in your life, and yet it didn't destroy your life. I'm not trying to minimize your loss, but I'm saying because of your connection with God and His effect on your emotions, you've been able to go through that dark night and come back out into the light And you still have the joy of the Lord and a peace that passes understanding and a victory that's ahead of you because you're in alignment with God. When the spirit is first and the soul is next and then the body is disciplined by our mind, will, and emotion so that our body is not ruling our lives, but our body is controlled by our soul and our spirit connected to God. And that's why when our eyes want to look at what it shouldn't look at, our soul says, no, 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 that's not pleasing to God. Evidently, that's not good for us. That would hurt us and destroy us, so we're not going to go there. When our feet want to trot off somewhere we shouldn't go, Our spirit man says to our soul, no, 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 you better get control of the body. And the will says, I won't go there. That's not where God wants me to go. That path will lead me to destruction. And so this this is the alignment that we should be after today. This is scriptural alignment. This is what God wants, the spirit communing with God, the results of the spirit setting boundaries for our minds, our wills, and our emotions. And hence the mind and the emotions control the body and discipline its direction. Several years ago, Faye was uh, sharing with me about a study that she was doing, and, and, and it was a, a, an authority that had done a lot of research and, and was sharing about love. And the presenter said there are three levels of love. And the first level of love, he said, is physical love. And he said that's the lowest level of love, physical love. Listen to me this morning, church. If we line up with the body in control of the will and the emotions and the spirit, then all we're going to know is the appetites of the flesh. What's so sad, the only love some people ever know is just physical love. I'm not saying that that isn't important. Certainly it is. A, A healthy part of a of a, of a godly marriage has the physical aspect to it, but, but it's not the only aspect. And, and unfortunately in our society today, especially with, with, with new teaching that's telling our young people, just go ahead and do whatever feels good. This is normal and natural. If you had a protracted, just go ahead. It's okay. Have sex on the first date. That's all right. And so all they ever know is a physical attraction and then a physical connection, and they never know anything else. And, and so then they go from one physical relationship to another physical relationship to another one, and they never bond. 
in a holy state of marriage. That's sad. By the way, in that study, the second level of love is a soulish level of love. Isn't that interesting? And, and the man who was teaching the, the, the lesson said, this is why long-distance relationships often result in a good marriage. Because in a long-distance relationship, you're having to communicate. You're having to learn mind to mind. You learn about their will. You learn about, you know, their emotions. You, you, you learn things. Long-distance relationships. I know this is antiquated, but people used to write letters. Now that's even a long-distance relationship. I know letters is, is historic, but, but they email or they text or they Skype, but they're talking. They're learning about one another. In other words, this, this reaches the soul level, the soul level. <laughs> People who only have physical relationships, they get married, and then they discover things about their mate that they didn't realize they were totally incompatible. But a long-distance relationship. You should be blessed this morning, Brother Presley. Long, his is a long-distance relationship. <laughs> Other side of the earth. But it, it actually works to, to the advantage of the couple. And then the highest level of love between a couple is when they know each other's spirit. If my spirit is communing with God's spirit and my wife's spirit is communing with God's spirit, our spirits connect with each other. And it's leading us down a path that will come together and we can not only connect, but we can bond and we can move forward. Praise the Lord. That's, that's the right kind of alignment. So now, I know there's, there's an effort today to compartmentalize sin or compartmentalize the, the body, soul, and spirit so that we can excuse sin in certain areas. There's some teachings out there that says as long as your spirit man is all right with God and you're going to church and doing, then it's okay whatever you want to do in the physical realm. That's a different part of you and it's okay. God will excuse that. Just keep your spirit right with it. Listen, that, that is a deceptive lie of the devil straight out of hell that will lead you on a path of destruction. Don't listen to that. Don't listen to that. But let me also say, on the flip side of that, and I see this every now and then, there are people that believe as long as I'm pure, as long as I'm, as long as I'm, you know, not stepping out on my wife, as long as I'm not doing anything that I shouldn't do in the physical, and as long as I'm clean, ha, then I can strut my stuff and and I can be full of envy and I can be full of jealousy and I can gossip and I can tell little white lies and I can have unholy communications and I can have a holier-than-thou attitude and I can live in unforgiveness and that's okay. That's another lie straight out of hell. That's why, folks, there has to be alignment because what I do in my spirit affects my soul and my body. And what I do in my soul affects my spirit and my body. And what I do in my body affects my soul and my spirit. 
We're a tripart being, and you can't separate them like that. That's why we need alignment, and that's what we're going for on these 21 days. I know you think, preacher, you've already preached a long time, and you haven't even got to the, to the how and the when. But I'm going to do those real fast. That's why we should fast, to get in alignment, all right? Now, here's how we should fast. Did you get one of these this morning? Did you get one of these cards? If you didn't get one, get one on your way out this morning. It has the calendar on one side that Pastor Reagan mentioned earlier that's got the 21 days. And then on the flip side, it's got types of fasting. Now, this, this is, again, not exhaustive, but it will help you to understand some different ways of fasting. This, like I said, it's not exhaustive. But here's the first one, a complete fast. A complete fast calls for drinking only liquids, typically water, with light juices as an option. Selective fasting is another way to fast. This type of fasting involves removing certain elements from our diet. One example of a selective fast is in Daniel, or Daniel fast, during which time he removed, you remove meat and sweets or bread, or your diet may consume water and juice for fluids and fruits and vegetables for food. That's another type of fast. And then there's a partial fast. This fast, sometimes called the Jewish fast, and it involves abstaining from eating any type of food in the morning and afternoon. This can either correlate to specific times of day, such as 6 a.m. to 3 p.m., or from sunup to sundown. And uh, that, that was very typical in Jesus' day. In fact, the first century church, um, according to history, typically would fast on, on Tuesday and Friday uh, from sunup until 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Most Christians did that just by habit, two days a week in the early church. Now, the reason they did that is because Jesus made the statement that your righteousness should exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, or the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they were trying to physically do better than that. That's not a good purpose for fasting, but that's a kind of fast that they did. And, and that's one that, that you can do if you so choose. But they did that twice every week on, on a regular basis throughout, throughout their entire lives. That's, that's another kind of fast. Here's a kind of fast called a soul fast. This fast is common for those who do not have much experience fasting food or who have health issues that prevent them from fasting food or who wish to refocus certain areas of their life that are out of balance. For instance, someone might select to abstain from using social media or watching television for the duration of a fast and then choose to carefully bring that element back into the life in an orderly fashion at the conclusion of fast. Now, there are several different ways there that you can fast if you choose or maybe others. Maybe the Lord would lead you in, a, in another direction. But I, I would encourage you to do something that will help you focus now, let me touch the last. This is my final point of this message today. When should I fast? Well, Daniel fasted when he needed understanding. He needed some answers. He'd been, Daniel had been studying the prophecy of Jeremiah, and there were some things there that he wasn't sure about. He, he couldn't grasp the time element. So he set himself. In fact, read this from Daniel 9 and 3. This is what Daniel said. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting. So Daniel went after 
understanding. And he used prayer and fasting to help him with that. Um, there's, a, there's another time that you might want to pray and fast together. And that's when more power or more anointing is needed in your life. Let me give you an example from Matthew 17, 14 to 21. When they come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. He's an epileptic, suffers severely. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long will I be with you and how long will I bear with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly, I say unto you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. How be it, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and by fasting. Prayer and fasting. Now, you get the picture here? I, I don't think I need to explain the story. I think it's pretty well self-explanatory, but... They needed, they needed more power. They needed more anointing. And they said, Lord, why couldn't we do this? And he said, because of your unbelief. Now, they needed more faith to accomplish this. But we all know that faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by the word of God. This is what builds your faith right here. So what's Jesus? He's not contradicting the word. He would never do that because he is the word. So he can't contradict the word. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the ability to activate that faith that you have. Let, let, let me illustrate. I, I, when my kids were small, I, I just loved. You remember the time when your kids were just learning to kind of pull up? They've been crawling all the time and they're trying to learn to walk. And they stand up and their, you know, their little old legs wobble and then they fall down. And they'll pull up on something and they'll fall down. And they fall down over and over and over and over and over, hundreds of times. In fact, I've often said the reason the Lord lets us learn to walk when we're little is because if we waited till we got grown and we fell that many times, we'd just give up. We wouldn't even try again. But little old kids, I used to do this with my kids. I did it with my grandkids. I'd, I'd love to get them when they just start to learn to kind of stand on their feet. I'd get them up, and I'd, I'd get them to focus, get, get their attention. And I'd get my keys or some toy that they liked. And I, I'd just dangle that out in front of them just, and just joke with them until I got their mind completely off of trying to walk. And all they'd see was this right here. And, they'd, and, I, and then I'd move it back a little bit, and they'd start reaching for it. You ever done that to a kid? You ever seen anybody do that to a child? Isn't that fun? And, and here's what happens. After a while, they get so engrossed in what you're doing that, that they'll start reaching, and before they know it, they've taken a step, and they've taken another step. And, it, and, and wow. Now, here's what the Lord does when we need, when we need more power more anointing in our lives first of all you got to focus 
Now, you, you're ne- you, it doesn't matter whether you shake keys or toys or whatever in front of the kid. If he doesn't have, if you don't have his attention, if he's looking over on the other side of the room, it's not going to work. You've got to get his attention. This is what prayer and fasting does. It helps us to focus on our Heavenly Father. And when he gets our attention, he loves us just as much as we love our kids. In fact, he loves us more than we love our kids. And he loves our attention. And he loves to play with us. Amen. I know it's a strange concept for some of you, but God does. God, God just loves. It. He loves it when we love him. He loves it when we have fun with it. And, and God will take the promises of this book. When he gets my attention, when I really focus on him, God will take these promises and get to waving them out in front of me. And, 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 and when I'm totally focused on him and he waves that promise, I may have seen that promise a thousand times, but, but I, I, I was not focused on it before. I'd seen it in the Word. I had it in my heart. But suddenly I'm focusing on God and he waves that. He said, look at this. Look at this. You can have this. And before I know it, I'm taking steps of faith. That, that I'd never been able to take before. And I'm, I'm moving forward with new strength and with new power and with new zest and new energy. Somebody give God praise in the house today. Hallelujah. And that's what will happen to you in these next 21 days. If God can get your attention, if God can get you focused, but for God to get you focused, you're going to have to unplug from some of the stuff of this world. Amen. And finally, when to fast? I believe there's a principle here. When you're not as close to the bridegroom as you once were, it's time to fast. Let me read it to you from Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. John the Baptist sent a couple of his disciples to Jesus. They came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they'll fast. See what Jesus is saying? Jesus said, don't expect my disciples. I'm I'm right here. I'm, I'm, I'm within arm's reach. I can... They can just reach out and touch me. I'm, I'm right here with them. But there'll come a day when I won't be that close to them. And when that day comes, well, they'll fast then. So I, I believe there's a principle here. At least I've developed it in my mind, and it works for me. I use this as a gauge. When I, when I realize that I'm moving along, and I've gotten in a routine, and the routine becomes a rut and I suddenly realize that I'm not as close to God as I used to be. Pastor Harold, that tells me that I need to push my plate back. I need to focus on the Lord. And, and I, I, can, I, can I just be honest with you this morning as we start this? I, I've done a lot of introspection in the last few days. And as we start 2016, I, I'll just confess to you as your pastor this morning, I'm, I'm not... I'm not the closest to God I've ever been, but I want to be. Amen. So so I'm going to focus for the next 21 days. At the end of these 21 days, I want to be as close to God as I've ever been. I want to be as close to God as I've ever been. And here's the beautiful thing about God. This is not a chance. 
Brother Leonard, this is not a perhaps or an if or a maybe. This is a promise straight from God himself. You'll find it in the book of James. Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. That, that's a promise. So, so God has told me that, that if I'll take one step towards him, he'll take a giant leap towards me because he desires our fellowship that much. Amen. How many of you want to get closer to God? Hallelujah. Stand with me, if you will, please. All over the building. Here's, here's what I want you to do for the conclusion of this service. My time's gone. I realize that. And some of you are going to have to go get your babies out of the nursery and children's church and so forth. So I, here's what I want you to do. If there's a desire in your heart in these next 21 days, and you'll make a commitment of some kind. I'm not, I'm not asking specifics. That's between you and God. I'm not trying to make this legalistic. That's, again, between you and God. But you'll say, Pastor, I'm going to make an effort to draw closer to God during these first 21 days, and beginning with the fourth, and we'll end with that night of worship towards the end of the month. I, I want you to just, we can't all get to the altar, but I, I want you to come as close as you can. And even if you're in the balconies, if, if you just make a, a step this direction, enough, enough that says, I, I'm going I'm to make it, I'm going to make a promise to God this morning that I'm going to make an effort to focus at the beginning of this year. It, just come as close. Everybody that will join us in that. Boy, would, wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if New Hope would, would just have a mighty outpouring of God's Spirit on every one of us, that our anointing becomes stronger and the power of God becomes greater in our lives, our focus becomes greater, and, and, and God is able to do things where all of a sudden we get answers to questions that we've been asking, and we get answers to prayers that we've been praying, and we get direction in areas that we've been seeking for, and we see family members come to God that we've been burdened for, and, and we see breakthrough on our job, in our home, in our family, and revival come to our church and a mighty outpouring of the Spirit of God that'll flow. Oh, hallelujah. Just make your promise to God. Just talk to him now out of your heart. Father, right now in Jesus' name, see us as a body of believers and we're all connected. We're all part of each other and we affect one another in the body of Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you will bless today. If you're comfortable, reach to the person next to you and let's join hands and pray for the person on the right-hand side of you and the person on the left-hand side of you. Lord, I just pray that in these next 21 days that, that you will bless us as we make our commitment, that you will help us as we begin to focus and that you will come to us with your anointing and with your spirit and your power and your presence and do a mighty work in every heart and every life. Touch every need, Lord, I pray. I pray for healings. I pray for miracles and for victory, oh God, all over this body for the glory of God in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now bless the person on either side of us. Bless this body together. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now would you give God praise? Thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God.